boy talk, because there's nothing more feminist than a teenage boy talking about women. Episode 3, Perfectly Perfect. Over the course of my life, my mother has taught me many, many different things. These range from how to treat people with respect, namely by holding doors open for them, by always making sure to dress them by their courtesy titles, making sure to actually listen instead of just nodding and saying, mm-hmm, to even how to use chopsticks. But I think the lesson that was the most important for me, the one that she really imparted on me and that I think I've grown really to value, is that is what she told me about talking to women. She said that... When you're talking to any woman, don't tell her she looks tired, because that probably means she just didn't put on any makeup. Now, you may think that this is perhaps a slightly sexist statement to make. You may think that she's just shedding light on the idea that all women must wear makeup because they must appear perfect. And to some extent, that's true. But the more I've thought about what she said, and I guess the older I've gotten, and how I've, how I've really seen, I guess, in popular culture, how women are depicted, or even what women are expected to be in the political arena, it's that this quote about how women, the statement, really, about how you should never tell a woman she's tired because she probably just didn't put on her makeup, gets to the heart of how women are seen in 21st century. Are seen in the 21st century, I mean. Women are essentially expected to be superhuman. They are not just expected to be great bosses and great co-workers, they're also expected to be great wives and great mothers as well. The 21st century woman is a woman who has it all, who has a loving family, who has a great career, and is also able to pursue her extracurricular duties, her hobbies, and do it all with nary a sign of stress on her face. She is expected to keep up this delicate, delicate balancing act with really all of these expectations foisted upon her, and she's expected to get through them all flawlessly. Because if she does not, she is not warm enough as a colleague or as a candidate. She is assailed from all sides. The most particular example of this, and probably the most obvious example of this, is Hillary Clinton. Not that Hillary Clinton's perfect, because she is far from it. But she does perfectly illustrate how women, rather than men, are often castigated for doing the exact same thing a man does in the political sphere. But because a man is a man, he gets away with comparatively a lot more than a woman can. Hillary Clinton is not a charismatic person. And perhaps this is only amplified by her husband being Bill Clinton, who is probably one of the most charismatic American presidents over the past 50 years. Still, this perceived woodiness of hers, the, her scratchy voice as she stands there in her pantsuit and close-cropped hair, does not exactly stand her in good stead. But, 
because she see, is a seemingly wooden figure, because she doesn't seem to be able to connect to voters, because she wasn't really able to connect to voters, compared to even slightly more charismatic candidates like Donald Trump, who really does thinks volume is a substitute for any actual magnetism and charisma, she is instantly dinged. She is instantly seen as lesser and inferior. And while maybe this isn't exactly something that happens just because she is a woman, it exemplifies how there are these different expectations for women. Because Hillary is somewhat awkward, she's not able to connect, she is instantly labeled as cold and uncaring. Because she's expected to be caring, at least to a given extent, but once a candidate goes past that, once a candidate begins crying when she recalls an issue like Lucy McBath in the Georgia congressional election, she is then called weak. It is this delicate balance because women are expected to be able to do it all. And while I may have been speaking about how this specifically applies to women in the 21st century who are given all these different roles and expected to carry them out perfectly, this pursuit of perfection for women, this image of perfection being placed on women, has been carried on since time immemorial, or at least for over a century in Western society. Let's flash back perhaps a bit more than a hundred years now, after America has recently gained their independence from the UK after the Revolutionary War. Most women were confined to these domestic duties. They were confined to caring for children, do doing the loom. I'm not sure of what the exact term for that is, but essentially they were confined to all this domestic housework. But during the time of the revolution, many women were hailed as being these mothers of the revolution, spiritual and moral figureheads for what America could be for what America should be, and they were seen to as these aspirational figures for all women. But despite them being seen as these idols, but despite them being seen as all America stood for, as the ones who had to guide the new generation of American citizens, of young Americans, but kind of really just young white American boys, and help them usher in the country into an even brighter future than than it already had after gaining independence. Women, again, were expected to be these almost pure figures, not puritanical because that's a bit extreme, but they were expected to be held to this higher standard because they were women. They were expected to be the moral compass of the nation, even though that didn't really ca carry with it any actual power in the political or social spheres other than out of the advice they could give to their husbands. always, They always had to be behind their husbands in some capacity, and even the ones who gained some individual power for themselves, that was almost always related to their husbands. And even as the years progress, especially as American history gets into the early 1900s, there is this concept of the Gibson girl, invented by this man named Mr. Gibson, because of course, when we're talking about images being placed on women, these perceptions about women are always created by men, because men use it to subjugate women. But that's a different story. Anyways, the Gibson girl was the first time in which women were seen as perhaps 
slightly less pure. They were allowed to be slightly freer, but not really completely free either. Essentially, much like the modern-day woman, just like the modern-day superwoman that so many professional women are expected to be, the Gibson girl was outdoorsy without being too tomboyish. She was smart, but not too smart to end up to pose a threat to the intelligence of to pose a threat to the ego of any man in the room. Pretty, but not so pretty that people got got suspicious, but just pretty in a girl next door kind of way. The Gibson girl was an embodiment once more of all of what all American women were expected to be, of all of what all American women were expected to love up to. And so, yet again, women are expected to f be forced to live up to the standard of near perfection. And that simply isn't right for a plethora of reasons. But it especially isn't right because those standards aren't equal across genders. If women are constantly being held to a higher standard, why can't men be as well? Why do we expect complete moral decency from women? Why do we expect female candidates to not to be calming but also passionate, to be motherly but also strong, and then ruthlessly demolish them whenever they cannot get that balance correctly? Why don't we apply those same standards to men? It is because women have forever, since time immemorial, since even before the Americas gained independence, since they were struggling for independence against the British, women have always been seen as these figures of higher moral standing. They have been forced to live up to this, while men, on the other hand, have essentially been allowed to kind of subsist, for lack of a better term. If a female candidate were to do some things that Donald Trump did, well, she wouldn't even be in the running for president. That's wrong. What he did was wrong. But because he is a man, there are key differences in the perceptions of those events. Because he is a man, those urges are seen as natural, while for women, they are expected to be above those base urges, those primal urges, which are what? Fear and desire. Two most primal emotions. They are expected to be above that. Expected to be better that. They are expected to rise above petty partisan conflicts. Because when a woman gets angry, it is because she's hysterical. Not because she's frustrated. Because she has something important to say. Which is why it is so important. In the face of all this struggle. Of all this struggle to be perfect. That people are beginning to speak out. It was Jamila Jamil, the actress who plays Tahani, all Jamil on The Good Place, which is Good Place, which is on NBC, which is the sitcom which carries a lot with a lot of uh, carries with it a lot of highly philosophical messages, and what Jamil says about beauty industries, about personal training industries, is that so many of these industries are focused on battering down your self esteem. If people actually believed in themselves, no one would actually have to spend so much money on any of these industries. 
all of these industries would go bankrupt. Beauty products, bankrupt. Face masks, bankrupt. All if people actually thought that they were perfect from the inside out. It is because of these standards, it is because of the pursuit of perfection, the standard of perfection that so many people, but especially women, are held to, that women are really prevented from advancing. Because women, because they're expected to be so perfect, are essentially expected to do more work for the same credit that a man would get. That is simply not right. Because perfect. Perfection is something that can never be achieved, and while it is honorable to go after those intentions, to try to follow after, the, after those goals, it is something that cannot realistically be achieved. By holding only one gender to those standards, that gender will always continue to be marginalized until something changes about those expectations. Thank you. So, hi again, people, and thank you once more for tuning into another episode of Boy Talk. I know that the ending wasn't the smoothest, but I hope you continue tuning in and continue listening to my one-man discourse about feminist issues from a teenage male perspective. See you next time. <laughs>